This is breaking into uh, Paul's testimony before Felix, the governor, and against the uh, charges brought against him by the Jews. And Paul says something about his life and his intent and uh, the way he lives. Let's begin at verse 14 of Acts 24. But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. And verse 16 is what I want us to especially notice. Paul said, I take great pains. Herein do I exercise myself. I put a lot of effort into this to keep a clear conscience before God, uh, before men. Now the conscience is a valuable gift from God. Some people have described it as as a compass, a spiritual compass. I used to really enjoy airplanes and flying, and I didn't do that much flying, but it was just a fascination to me. And the navigation of airplanes and how they can get from point A to point B, even a, a long distance apart, um, and, and using their, their compasses and their guidance systems to not only keep them going in the right direction, but, but to uh, help them tell whether they're tipping this way or that way or up or down. The, uh, the attitude, as they call it, of the, of the airplane. And while people can fly in the day and, and have some points of reference, if they're flying at night or through the clouds, they don't have those visual points of reference and have to depend on their, on their uh, instruments. Uh, not too long ago, I was coming into Charlotte and uh, on an airplane, and it was a very foggy morning. In fact, they were turning quite a few flights away, or had been, and and we were coming down through the through the clouds. Couldn't see anything uh, below, and I could hear the gear coming down. We'd been coming down, it seemed like for quite a while, and the gear came down. Still couldn't see anything, and then just. Uh, Suddenly, there was the ground. There was the end of the runway, and it wasn't that far down anymore. But the, uh, the pilot had been depending on some instruments, and I couldn't see them. All I could see was fog. But people can get disoriented in airplanes. 
I remember reading some years ago about a bush pilot in Alaska who uh, one time came into a, uh, into a snowy lake, landed on the lake on skis, and um, it was a sub-zero day. It was a very bitterly cold day. And one thing I remember from my years in the north being impressed with uh, soon after I got there, when they, when they stopped, when they landed on the lake on the ice and stopped, one of the first things they did was threw a blanket over the cowling, over the engine, just to uh, preserve some of the, of the heat. Well, this, uh, this pilot thought he would only be there for a little bit, and he didn't bother to uh, cover the engine, and he just threw off the fuel barrels and climbed back in and started the engine. And in that brief time, the windshield had really frosted over, and he couldn't see out. And, um, but it was a big lake. It was wide. It was long. And so he just, he wasn't going to worry. He would just, uh, he could use the instruments. He would just go straight down the lake. He would lift off and then get a compass heading at some point and head off to his next destination. But unknown to him, uh, the guy rose froze in the, in the position they were in on the ground, on the ice. And so the true position of the plane after he took off was unknown to him. And so he was flying out, the engine was roaring, and he happened to, after a little bit, glance uh, up on the windshield and there was a little corner up here that was clearing. And through that corner up here, he saw the barrels of fuel that he had just unloaded, which was not where barrels of fuel ought to be. And he knew that he had his airplane, he had gone into a, a big arc and was headed back toward where he came from. He made some corrections. <laughs> and survive to tell his story. But the conscience is a kind of an instrument. It's critical for guidance. It's critical for a safe passage to our eternal goal, which is heaven. I don't know how you define the conscience. It's, it's an inbuilt part of a human's makeup of his, uh, it's an internal standard, a part of his uh, psychological makeup, you might say. And it is put there by God. The conscience was, uh, it was placed there in creation. Man was created in the image of God. And even with the infection of sin in the fall, man has within him a sense of the qualities of God's nature and character, standards of justice, of what is right and wrong, what is good and what is bad. And man is, um, if his conscience is in, is working at all, it, um, he, he knows where he's at in relation to that standard that inner standard 
the conscience. And it's a, it's a mental response. It's something, it's not just reason. We can reason things out. It's not just logic. logic. It's not just ideas. But it's an inner sense. This way is good. That way, not. And when it's in its proper order, it gives good direction, correct direction in the face of choices. And it troubles a person when he makes wrong choices. And for that reason, uh, people sometimes don't like it and wish to uh, wish it would just go away and stop bothering them. Now, the conscience is different from conviction, though uh, they are closely related. In fact, they are interrelated. The conscience is of no more value than the convictions are based on the Word of God and uh, are true. Conviction is a firm belief it is being convinced that something is right and true. Uh, it's beyond conscience. It is directives received from God's word and taught by God's spirit. The conscience then points us to do what we know is right and to follow our convictions. And it makes us uncomfortable and miserable when we don't. The conscience is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uses our conscience. At Pentecost, it says in Acts 2 that when they heard Peter's sermon and heard the truth that he taught, they were pricked in their heart. Their consciences bothered them, convicting them of their need and of their sin. <clears throat> In Romans 9, Paul says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. And he's saying here that his conscience is enlightened by the word and the spirit and it confirms peace to him. The interaction of the Holy Spirit and the conscience. Now, everyone has a conscience. In Romans 2, for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, they didn't have the Bible, when they, when they do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. So the heathen, the unlearned, those without the benefit of the Bible, uh, of even the Old Testament, when they chose to do good things, when they chose to do, to be honest and to be fair and to be kind, uh, whatever it was that they did that was good because something inside of them told them that. 
They sensed it. That is showing the work of the law, the, uh, the work of the law written in their hearts, that this conscience was already there. I remember reading in, uh, in Don Richardson's Peace Child, uh, account of, of his mission work in New Guinea. He said that the cannibals, the cannibals had to overcome a sense of uneasiness about eating the flesh of humans. It wasn't like rabbit or beef. Something about it uh, bothered them. They even had a word for it. They had to overcome that uh, pressure of peers and whatever. Uh, they had to overcome their conscience in order to be able to be uh, to be cannibals, I guess. The conscience can change. It isn't just set at the beginning like a gyroscope and then it runs for the duration of the flight, barring power, power failures. In 1 Samuel 24, we read about David. You remember when he was in the cave and Saul came in, his enemy, King Saul, who was searching for him, and David's, um, David's companions said, Here, here's Saul. Here's, he's lying there sleeping. Why don't you just kill him right now? And David didn't do that, but what he did do was cut off the corner of Saul's robe while he was asleep. Now, it says that... Um, David's heart smote him. Now, he would have felt a lot worse, I'm sure, if he had killed Saul, as he had opportunity to do. But somehow this felt to him like a disrespectful thing in his conscience, convicted him. This was, this was, was not good. This was disrespectful. His heart smote him. But then you think about David uh, years later after he was king and had been king for a while and up on his roof and saw a neighbor's wife and after his sin, even with her, trying to uh, connive to cover up and something had happened to his conscience. If it wasn't dead, it was very dull at that point. And he, if it spoke, if we know it wasn't dead because when Nathan came and told him that story about the sheep, the pet sheep, the lamb that was killed by a rich uh, landowner, oh, it came alive then and he could criticize another person. But uh, he had ignored his own conscience and it was dulled. Now the conscience can can get off balance. We, we are blessed that we have a conscience. We have responsibility in the maintenance of our conscience. God helps us with our consciences, but they can get out of balance. They can get extremely out of balance even. In 1 Timothy 4.2, it talks about people, teachers, 
that speak lies in hypocrisy. And it says this about their consciences, their conscience seared with a hot iron. And what that's describing is a, uh, a cauterization, a taking a hot iron and, and just passing it over the flesh or a wound, deadening the nerves. So there's an insensitivity and uh, a, no feeling. In Ephesians 4, verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. People who, are, who have, have ignored their consciences, abused their consciences, and uh, deadened their consciences to the point they are past feeling. Now we know what leprosy is and... Um, I remember reading in Dr. Brand's, one of Dr. Brand's books about the injuries that, that lepers suffer and the damage that is done to their fingers and toes. It isn't just from the leprosy, but it is from injury and they not feeling that they're, that they're hurting, that they've been hurt. Not sensing pain when they're cut or burned or uh, stub the toe or whatever. But when the healthy conscience is violated, there is pain. A deadened conscience doesn't feel. There is no inward pause or discomfort in the pursuit of sin. No worries about the consequences of a wrong life and judgment at the end. You know, there will be people in, in hell for all eternity who died with an easy conscience. Think about that. You know, the psalmist Asaph spoke about evil people whose lives he had watched and he said in Psalm 73, verse 4, For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They, they die and uh, they just seem to be coasting into the grave feeling fine. They're feeling fine. They're not bothered. But when they die, we know that their consciences will be abruptly uh, jolted back to the truth, to reality, and they'll know their guilt. But at that point, there is no solution. So that, that is one extreme where the uh, conscience uh, is so dead that it isn't, it isn't helpful to a person. It doesn't do what, it's, what it was given, what it was designed to do. Another uh, extreme where, where it can get out of balance is the overly sensitive conscience, plagued with guilt, with doubts, with a lack of assurance, maybe often not really being able to put uh, a finger on anything that's really wrong. 
Is God first in my life? Do I love him? Am I really surrendered? Am I doing what he wants? Am I doing enough? Now, these are all good and important questions uh, for all of us. Uh, some people struggle to find rest. And some people even to the point uh, that they, they lack assurance of, their, of salvation. And, and uh, if you've ever talked with anybody that is suffering uh, that kind of lack of assurance, it, it, uh, it makes you really suffer with them. You really feel sorry for them. Or they can be overly concerned about uh, a little thing that isn't really, uh, shouldn't be an issue. Or it's, uh, they're uninstructed. Or they lack understanding. In uh, Romans 14, it talks about the believer's with weak consciences. And in 1 Corinthians chapters 8 through 10, it talks about meat offered to idols and people that, that don't understand either about the meat offered to idols or, or about aspects of the law that, that were fulfilled in Christ and, and feeling uh, super sensitive about the law, yet even those things that were passed. So consciences that aren't fully educated yet. And that is not to accommodate, not adjusted to accommodate sin or carnality. But, you know, like in the, in the uh, instance of, of meats and foods, that formerly unclean things uh, were now not an issue. For some people, they struggled for maybe the rest of their life for some Jews. To, uh, to come to understand that. Often uh, people uh, suffering from oversensitive consciences, there, there is often an unbalanced focus on, on themselves and their own flaws and, and not enough focus on the blood of Jesus, which cleanses true followers from all sin. Now, I believe also that there will be people in heaven who died uneasily, struggling with doubt. But then the truth dawns and they experience the blessed peace and comfort of, the, of, of, of heaven and being in the presence of God. But a warning. If a warning flashes on the instrument panel of an airplane saying whatever, engine dead, something, a pilot, a good pilot, wouldn't just say, well, there's probably something out of adjustment and just ignore it. He wouldn't just say, it's just an oversensitive conscience. But he would check it. You know, on the space shuttle, there have been many flights scrubbed for little hints of something that wasn't right. And then sometimes they found out the instrument was wrong. But they're not going to take a chance. They'll check everything 
So if our conscience is troubled, don't decide. I'm probably just a little confused. Find out what's wrong. Try to figure out what's bothering you. So we have people, if the conscience is working right, the guilty people know they are guilty. And the innocent people have assurance that they are innocent, that they are okay. But there are guilty people who think they're innocent. And there are innocent people, like we've been talking about, who fear that they're guilty. And the Holy Spirit can minister to the needs of each situation, convicting, comforting, teaching. Uh, I'd like to look quickly at, at some, of the fact, some of the elements of uh, educating the conscience. We'll have to spin through this kind of quickly, but <clears throat> uh, the first is the Holy Spirit, and that's the blessed work of God. The Holy Spirit, the teacher. Before the new birth, God had outlined for Israel in the law a sacrificial system. And Hebrews says in Hebrews 9 that that system, those gifts and those sacrifices that they offered, they could not make those that did the sacrificing perfect as pertaining to the conscience. It could not solve the conscience problem. It couldn't change the inner man. There was still guilt. There was still sin there. But when Jesus came, the perfect offering, it says this in verse 14 of Hebrews 9, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So what animal offerings could never do, Christ did. He cleansed completely and renewed and converted the inner man and he clears the conscience. That's part of the joy of salvation. And, and when uh, the new birth occurs, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in a person's heart. And he does more than bring joy, he teaches. John 16, 13. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. The Bible is a second element in our, the education of our conscience. 1 Timothy 1, 5. Now the end of the commandment or the goal of the commandment is charity, is love out of a pure heart and a good conscience. Love for God out of a pure heart and a clear conscience. Uh, in Hebrews five thirteen, But strong meat belongeth to them, speaking about the word of God, strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, 
even those who by reason of use have their senses, their conscience, exercised to discern both good and evil. They, they uh, exercised, they studied, they learned, they were hearers, they were doers. But the unskilled in the word, it talks about in verse 11, they use milk and they're immature and they're lacking development. But the strong uh, are skillful in the word and they practice studying and learning and following. It was mentioned in our Sunday school class about um, what we believe affects what we do. That is very true. What we believe and what we think affects our conscience, which affects how we choose, how we live, how we act. When we find a lost billfold that's stuffed with cash, when we pass a magazine rack, it helps us decide where we don't look. Or when we've been mistreated, it helps us decide how we should respond. There are wrong teachers. And the world looks to wrong teachers. The world tries, looks for comfort from wrong teachers. Even Christians can have that tendency. And... People want to go to others who, who um, help them feel more comfortable about what they're doing wrong. So to ease the suffering of guilt for breaking a rule, change the rule. Or persuade, persuade them that there are no rules or this rule is not a rule really. And to ease the guilt for breaking God's laws, just say, that's not really a law of God. It's an outdated ethical standard. So people, you know, often, often listen to wrong sources to hear what they want to hear so they feel better after a while. They come to believe it. Paul wrote about that. But God's law does not change. Now, the conscience is not the final authority. The scripture is. So our doctrine must come from the word of God. Our lives are measured by the word of God. And we must be open to the word of God and be convicted of what it teaches. Believe what it teaches. So there's conviction when there's sin and there's comfort for the misinformed. My little children, 1 John 3, 18 and 19. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth or sincerity. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts, our consciences before him. If we are following God's word and living what we know, there is assurance. Another important part of maintenance for our conscience is responding correctly uh, to what it tells us. You know, there are two parts to the conscience. One is guidance as we face decisions. Another is rebuke. 
conf conviction when we have done wrong. So in the, in, on the part of guidance, we need to obey to do the, to do the right thing. And when we're rebuked by the Holy Spirit, by our conscience, we confess, we repent. We agree with God we did wrong. Paul, as we saw earlier, was careful to do what he knew was right before God to be like we saw in our Sunday school lesson, to be not only a hearer, but a doer. And when we respond right to our conscience and obey or confess, whatever, it strengthens our conscience. It helps keep it healthy. And it directs us toward a godly life and character, toward eternal life. But wrong responses, left go, weakens the conscience, it soils the character, and it tends to direct us away from godliness and away from life. And Paul described people who uh, people who put away faith and their conscience and they shipwrecked, spiritual shipwreck. We can dull our consciences by disobeying, by rationalizing and excusing. Others are doing, doing it. It was his fault. Just this once won't hurt. I can quit when I want to. But the further we push away the light, the darker it gets. And the darker it gets, the harder it is to see clearly. And we can lose touch with reality. And then... Uh, Another element that I'll mention is, is Christian fellowship. And we see in the scriptures verses like these, exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, being with other Christians, people that take seriously living for God. Now that's a real encouragement and it helps us, it helps our convictions, it helps our consciences to stay in good tune. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Similar. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. We have a guidance system. We don't want to be at a place where our choices, our life is grieving the Holy Spirit and we are not grieved. That would be a very bad place. We want to be sensitive to the Spirit in our conscience. We want to grieve with the Spirit about sin in our life and desire to correct it. We have a part in the uh, maintenance of this guidance system, the conscience that God has given us.
We want to live like Paul lived. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. May God help us to live the way Paul lived. Shall we have a song?